Welcome to Walking with the Archetypes, the podcast which gives you keys to claiming your personal power. For more than a decade now, I've studied the King, Warrior, Magician, Lover archetypes, and in this time of great turmoil, I will reveal their secrets. My name is Ivan Fingenskjær-Schellum, founder of Men's Initiation, Reclaim Your Inner Throne, and it's time now to head outside and walk with the archetypes. Welcome to the Walking with the Archetypes podcast. This is your host, Ivan Shalom, your friendly Viking from the cold north here today. I'm also the founder of the Men's Initiation, Reclaim Your Inner Throne. And uh, I'm looking here at the uh, fields around my childhood home. As you may know from listening over the last couple of weeks, I have just relocated back home to Norway to spend Christmas with the family here. And now I'm stood in a very precious spot to me, looking out over the white frosty fields of my childhood. And it is cold. And while the sun was high in the sky earlier today, now it's overcast and behind the oak, the beautiful oak over on the other side here of the field. There are some thicker clouds. It's nice to be here. All kinds of bird footprints, some kind of big bird. I don't actually recognize these footprints. And um, this has just been dancing all over the place. Seems like one bird has been going absolutely bananas. Or maybe those have been a family of birds. It's kind of fun to see all of the footprints in the snow. So indeed, it is winter, and it is also the day where I will be recording maybe the most contentious podcast that I've made yet. And now I've been recording quite a few contentious podcasts. So that's saying something, I think. So we're going to be talking about noble tyranny, the way that they lie to you. And uh, what I mean by that title is that the flavor of tyranny today is one of kindness, compassion, of care. That's the outer layer. But it's nothing but a smokescreen for totalitarian control, for the loss of your freedom, your home, your money. And um, it's time we talk about it, because we're in a time of awakening now. I'm ready to start using those words. I haven't used them before exactly that way but I'm ready to start using those words. And one of the biggest awakenings is how tyranny is ever malleable, ever flexible in what kind of camouflage that it takes on. And right now it is the camouflage of being your kind and benevolent protector. And it is all bullshit. And in this podcast episode, I'm going to expose it all. So if you're ready, let's dive in. I was sharing yesterday with the people in my official Telegram channel that I'm scared to record this podcast because there is a suppression of truth in our culture right now that is very extreme. And anyone and everyone who speaks out about what is occurring risks the wrath of our totalitarian overlords and the armies that they wield, the woke armies that are so eager to cancel anyone that steps out of line. 
So Michelle has just joined me here. She is out for a walk as well. She came a bit later. She was on a different phone call. So there's going to be more footprints in the snow. But let's now explore the 40,000 feet view here before the break and then we'll go into more details afterwards. Tyranny is a dark force that humanity has been battling with for millennia. Maybe it's always been here in some way, shape or form as one person just wakes up to the desire to have more power than everyone else. He wants to control them because then life just gets easier if everyone does what I tell them to. Reduces complexity, it makes it less emotionally taxing, well at least apparently on the surface, to be me if everyone does exactly what I want them to. And so there is a very strong biological need to control people. I feel safer, I have my needs met because I have other people doing my bidding so they bring me food or whatever. So some kind of hierarchies have probably always been here because we find them in nature as well. But of course, as culture develops, as technology develops, tyranny keeps morphing. It keeps taking on new clothes. And if you have become accustomed to seeing tyranny in a particular kind of garb, then you may lose sight of tyranny once it morphs and starts to look different. But tyranny always has the same underlying patterns of control and domination. Okay. So I think you're with me so far that there's a pattern of tyranny that has been pervasive throughout most of human history, probably all of human history. And it's still here, but it's starting to look different. So there was a time when tyranny looked something like one strong man telling everyone what to do. This strong man had his close associates, his inner circle that would follow his orders. And then those associates would have their own teams and armies and spin doctors and ministries of propaganda and disinformation. Though all of the way up at the top, you have this one guy or this one woman. There have been plenty of female tyrants as well. And then you come to associate tyranny with pictures of Adolf Hitler up on a podium speaking so that he gets fucking aroused by his own words. And you're observing the, the hypnotized spellbound people down on the arena or the the big square down below that go Sieg Heil and you know they they go hurrah and he has his leather boots and his uniform and his hat and his microphones and everything you know this is how tyranny looks to us this is how we have grown up seeing tyranny and so if and so any tyranny that doesn't look like that a lot of people due to not having the capacity to see the patterns that are playing out they can't recognize it. Tyranny will always take the path of least resistance. Life generally takes the path of least resistance because you have to spend less energy and resources to take that path. 
And so the tyrant wannabes, they will only need to do one thing. They will need to analyze culture and to see where culture is at its weakest. And then the tyrants would have to leverage those weak points for their own selfish needs. Of course, if we're going to return to the example of Adolf Hitler in 1930s Germany, you have a people with a broken back, they have lost their dignity, they have lost their national pride. And so Adolf Hitler wants to give them their pride back. And so that's the weakness of the German people. They are completely demoralized, they're broken, and they just need to feel a little proud again. And so that was easy enough to leverage tyranny in that way. So here we are at the fourth turning of the next cycle of evolution, of human evolution. We're literally right now in the breaking apart. And of course, tyranny is rising yet again. But is it looking like the strong men that are going to dominate the weak vermin of the world? Nah, -uh. it's not looking like that at all. Which is why people don't recognize it. These days, tyranny leverages people's fear of death. Because for decades, we have been indoctrinated by a completely captured media, academia, even popular culture, into a particularly degenerate way of seeing the world, seeing our lives. And so we have become weaker, less resilient. We have had it so good that we haven't had to flex our survival muscles. And so in the face of a pandemic, so to speak, because I don't know that that is actually the appropriate word, um, people are easily herded into groupthink, into various kinds of hysterical modes of thinking and being and acting. But the patterns are the same. On the surface, the mechanisms is, oh, we need to take care of the people who are at risk. We need to take care of the children. We need to take care of the elders. We all need to take our vaccine to protect those who cannot. We all need to give up our freedoms temporarily because this is the only way that we can combat this virus. Temporary suspension of democracy and freedom. Have you ever heard of such a thing before? No, because it's not temporary. It's not temporary. That's just how it is. And so here we are. People are happily and willingly and enthusiastically giving away their freedoms, their democracy, the right of property ownership is coming next, the right to maybe buy things, buy food may be coming next, all if you don't comply with the social order, which is of course connected to a particular kind of passport. And that part is not different from Nazi Germany, where they had a Gesundheitspass or whatever they called it, that documented that you weren't an infected lowlife. So, you know, patterns are similar. So this is how tyranny can get creative. And after the break, I'm going to look at four different topics, 
four different headlines that actually matter to all of us. It's public health, it's environmentalism, it's anti-racism, and it's feminism. And all of these topics, all of these headlines, have been important social causes for decades, if not centuries. There's a very special bird hovering over us now. I think it's a bird of prey, but I don't recognize it. It's not a raven like it was back in February. Something else. Anyway, maybe this will take on new meaning to me later on. But after the break, we're going to be going into these four headlines and explore exactly how they are leveraged, these positive, important social causes, how they are leveraged as a vector for more tyranny. So I'll talk to you after the break. After our Seeds of Sanctuary ceremony on August the 22nd, our new community platform Sanctuary is officially open. Sanctuary is a place free from big tech censorship and all kinds of woke bullshit and toxic narratives. This is a place where like-minded souls from the whole world, men and women both, gather to have deep inquiries into cutting-edge topics and to get support to rise in life in this difficult time. So join us here if you want access to free group coaching once per month, paid memberships, powerful rituals and great community. Register to Sanctuary now on innerthrone.com sanctuary. Welcome. Welcome back. I am now alone in the woods. Michelle got cold because I was standing still looking out over the fields. So she has gone back. The bird is also gone. And so I am here all alone. So this is noble tyranny. This is how they lie to us. And the two archetypes that are primarily in operation in noble tyranny are the king archetype and the shadow aspect of tyranny, and then the magician archetype in his shadow aspect as a manipulator and a propagandist and as a black sorcerer. So let's attack these four headlines and start with feminism. I think we can all agree that feminism was initially important. Women had to fight for their right to vote and to own property. They had to fight then in the second wave for their right to work and be in the factories and the various workplaces. In the third wave, they started to fight for equal pay and against sexual harassment. And about here, things start going a little bit awry. And by the time that we are in the fourth wave, with Me Too and this idea of intersectionality, we're starting to get in trouble. You'll notice one thing here is that it started out as a fight for something, and it turned into a fight against something. And this is almost always a sign that a cause has really lost its way. 
And I believe that the main culprit that has really turned feminism into a weapon against women and men and against freedom itself is this idea of intersectionality. Because essentially it is an idea that is archetypal and it is connected to some kind of all-pervasive shadow force that you cannot break free from. Because intersectionality is the idea that there are all of these interlocking systems of oppression in culture that are basically collaborating and that if you're anything but a white man, you are completely at the mercy of this system. You don't need to have any evidence for this because we're actually in the mythological realm by now. And even though historically some of this has indeed existed, factually speaking, the world has changed a lot in very little time. And as the women started fighting against rather than for, and they started to use this idea of intersectionality, well, that's when things went awry. Because obviously these activists that think they're fighting for the rights of women, they, they are impassioned and they think they're doing the right thing. But by now this initially positive force of women finding their freedom, finding their power, finding their voice has firmly showed up on the radar of the apex predators of culture. The oligarchs, the various dark shadowy forces that do actually exist. And millions of empowered women is something very dangerous to tyranny. And so tyranny doesn't want women to be empowered. And so this is why I believe that the feminist ideal changed from the we can do it heroic woman with her shirt rolled up flexing her bicep to the eternally oppressed woman that can never become free. And that's where we're at now. We have this victim role for women that has massive political and cultural traction and various forms of activism, science, academic pursuits, media coverage is being generated in order to feed this role. Why? Because the tyrants do not want women to be empowered. And many women, unfortunately, have swallowed it hook and sinker. And they're now fully bought into this narrative where women can never be free. And in turn, they have essentially become part of the armies of the apex predators of patriarchy. Because at the very top of our culture are some very, very, very rotten to the core old geezers that think only of themselves and their inner circle. They want to control you. So let's look at how Me Too was leveraged for tyranny. I think actually Me Too started out as a mostly noble cause. That it hadn't been institutionalized, that it hadn't been corrupted. But we basically think of Me Too starting when Rose McGowan said that Harvey Weinstein had sexually predated on her and many other women. And then that started a chain reaction. So Harvey Weinstein was one of the powerful people of Hollywood, obviously. And I think he basically became the fall guy. His head had to roll so a lot of other people could stay hidden. And we recently found out that Rose McGowan had been pressured by various forces inside of the Democrat Party to not expose Harvey Weinstein back in the days. And that even Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, his wife had been involved in this kind of pressure. 
So clearly, the people that have championed Me Too, they didn't want it to happen initially. But once it happened, the so-called good guys of the Democrat Party, they launched on this, and they started their machine. And heads started to roll. And various other progressive forces around the world started their machines. And I think some heads rolled that had to roll. But then eventually we started to see that people, men essentially, that had done nothing were sent to the courts because they had been accused of having some kind of incident of rape. And then you got the mantra, believe the women. And so many men lost their reputation, their livelihoods, their families, even though they were innocent because we chose to believe the women. But when Rose McGowan recently came forth with the revelations around the kind of pressure that forces inside of the Democrat Party, especially the Clinton clan, had um, well put on her, nobody believed her. Because it wasn't in the service of the totalitarian agenda to believe a woman that actually exposed the people that were at the center of the agenda. So feminism has thus become a tool that is now wielded by the totalitarian agenda. By using this kind of victimhood thinking, you can pick out any kind of man who has some power in society and who hasn't been corrupted, and then you can take him down with some kind of Me Too accusation. Believe all of the women, just not the women that are telling the truth. And so in this way, the important social cause of feminism has become a force that tyranny leverages to completely oppress the inner psychological landscape of women, making them think that they are less powerful and less worthy than men, so that their feminine elemental force, their beauty, their power, cannot rise and actually challenge the apex predators of patriarchy that they think that they're fighting against. While in reality, all they are doing is take out the strong men that stand in the way of the apex predators. So next, let's look at anti-racism. Personally, I'm in a biracial relationship. I have black people in my close family. And I care a lot about banishing racism from the world for good. Because it really doesn't belong here at all. We are one human family. And the color of our skin should not have any impact on our social standing and opportunities to make a living and to make headway in life. It really shouldn't. Which is why the civil rights movement was so important. Which is why the fight against racism has been so important. But something has mutated here as well as noble tyranny captured it. And while I do think there are certain elements of Black Lives Matter that are indeed noble, let's look at what has actually been going on. Throughout the past several years, the apex predators of our culture have sponsored Black Lives Matter with a lot of money. I'm speaking, of course, of old geezers like George Soros, who is clearly rotten to the core. Patrice Khan Cullors, who is a self-proclaimed Marxist, she embezzled a lot of that money and she bought herself some really nice houses in white neighborhoods in an act completely lacking in solidarity with her black brothers and sisters across the nation. Also, being an organization run by Marxists, 
they have at the center of their value system that they're trying to dismantle the institution of the Western nuclear family. Why? They don't say, they don't say why this is connected to Black Lives Mattering. But I'll tell you something. We know a hell of a lot about why the black population of America has suffered a lot over the last several decades. And it is because the nuclear family has fallen apart. It is primarily because of the loss of present father figures. Because the apex predators of our culture have grabbed all of those men and put them in jail so that they can produce stuff for the apex predators without them having to pay any money for it. Free labor for the apex predators is what the black men have been. But why then are these forces sponsoring Black Lives Matter? Well, maybe it is precisely because they are not supporting the black lives and they are literally wanting to break apart the black families. The Democrats, many decades ago, they started to incentivize the breaking apart of the black family when they started to pay mothers a lot of money for being in a house without a present father. And this has completely wrecked the black population. Completely wrecked it. So we see then this great problem of lacking presence of male role models. But what has happened over the last couple of years? Well, Black Lives Matter and the rest of progressive culture have started to paint criminals as role models. Now it was very, very sad what happened to George Floyd. It was wrong. But yet he's now basically been turned into a saint by parts of the progressive or liberal world. But being somebody who had held a pregnant mother at gunpoint and done various kinds of criminal acts, I don't know that this is the role model that the black community needs. So what happens with the kind of role models that the black community needs? Men like Thomas Sowell and Larry Elder... Women like Candace Owens, you may disagree with them politically, ideologically, but they have certainly made a name for themselves from nothing. What is the narrative around these people? These black men and women who argue that it's bad for the black community to consider themselves victims, but rather to see themselves as capable agents of their own lives. You know what they're called? They're called white supremacists. Because anyone who doesn't agree with the agenda of noble tyranny is a white supremacist. That's just how it is. But how wicked and how cruel is it to refuse to have voter ID laws, which basically every country in the world has apart from the United States, you know, because it's supposedly meant to suppress the black vote? What is the basis of that argument? It is that black people are too dumb to go to some kind of office to get an ID. And I've seen interviews with black people on the streets being asked this question about the ID, and they know how to get it, and they do have it. So this is just more stepping on the black people. And now let's look at public health. Personally, I feel great about having grown up in a country with free healthcare, Norway. 
Yet Norway, like basically every other country in the world, has been under the harsh hand of the pharmaceutical industry since ever since I was born. And the conception of health in public health is accordingly incredibly narrow and incredibly lopsided. There is very little knowledge about health, about diet, about lifestyle. It's all about take your fucking meds. My mother now has a machine that beeps regularly throughout the day and a little bag comes out, a little plastic bag with pills. And she swallows those pills and if she has to travel somewhere, she needs to call somebody to ask if she could please disable the machine. And then she comes back and she needs to call somebody to please enable the machine. And it's all run centrally. Imagine if she is now going to do something that the public health authorities don't like. Will they just shut off that machine so that she can't have her meds anymore? Well, I hope not, but the possibility is there, and I wouldn't put it past them, given what I've seen in the world over these last two years. We have seen a widespread suppression of effective treatments against COVID-19 in order to pave the way for a subpar and quite dangerous experimental treatment. It is not a vaccine. And this is not in any way a speculative statement. This is a factual statement. They actually had to change the definition in the dictionary at the beginning of 2021 in order to be able to speak about this treatment as a vaccine because you don't need to take vaccines every like three or four months because they wane. Vaccines have never worked this way in the past, but they do now. And so you better take your fucking shot, bucko, otherwise we're going to punish you. Around the world now, you see that people who don't take this jab are losing basic human rights. Right now, old people in Greece are fined 25% of their retirement payout from the government if they aren't jabbed. Other places like Lithuania, you can't even go in to buy food in a shopping mall anymore and who knows where this is going to end we're seeing huge quarantine complexes shooting up across the world just yesterday i saw a video of one in the uk that can take 12,000 people who's going to be in there while the unvaccinated why because they're evil they are enemies of humanity they don't care about your grandmother they don't care about anyone but as it turns out, this idea that we need to take the vaccine so that the people who cannot don't have to is bogus. And I say that because there is an interview on Brett Weinstein's Dark Horse podcast with an Australian woman who has severe allergies against the compound in the vaccine and would have an anaphylactic shock. And the Australian authorities are doing everything that they can to force her to take the vaccine, although she might very possibly die on the spot. That means that there is no exception 
from this vaccine in more and more countries around the world and they don't give a flying fuck if you actually die when you take it. Noble tyranny. Take care of grandma. Take care of the people who cannot take the vaccine. Under the surface, obey. Otherwise, we will take your freedom, we will take your property, and we will take your money and everything that you hold dear. Noble tyranny. Finally, let's look at environmentalism. As you probably understand from the fact that I'm literally out in nature walking every time I record this podcast... I love nature. I treasure nature. And whenever I see garbage in nature, I pick it up. And I urge you to do the same. Because we have a lot of environmentalists in this world who think that environmentalism is about walking in parades in cities. And they walk straight past the garbage that litters their woods. So we just had COP26 where Prince Charles said in front of everyone that we're going to need a military-style operation in order to combat climate change. Well, is there a man-made climate change? Yes. I don't think anyone seriously denies this. The question is, to what degree? And is it so significant that we can change our behavior as humanity and change the arc of the larger weather patterns of the planet. Because obviously the cycles of the sun on the planet involve increases and decreases in temperature. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that. Just go back to the last ice age And we had frigging 2,000 meters of ice. I can go close to my home in Norway, where, well, I don't live there anymore. But when I used to live there, just outside of Oslo, I would go to this lake. I love this lake. I might even go to it while I visit this time. And there is this signpost on one of the paths. And this signpost says, this is where the ocean used to be. This is where the ocean front used to be. And that signpost is 132 meters above sea level. So you're talking about the rise of sea level. Well, of course, this wasn't exactly that the oceans were that high without any other forces involved. No, it was because we had the friggin' ice age and with 2,000 meters of ice on top of the land, it literally pushed the land down. 2,000 meters of ice. It takes you 20 to 25 minutes at a normal walking speed to cover that distance. That much ice was on top of parts of the world. That was a naturally occurring weather phenomenon. And now we have changes again. The cycle is moving and we're freaking out. And I can understand why people are freaking out because it's impacting people's lives. But what can we do about it?
the data that I see, if the United States literally stops all of their carbon emissions, in 70 years from now, the global temperature could have been impacted by around 0 0.1 to 0 0.15 degrees. But that's in 70 years from now. It's not like 10 years from now. And that's the United States. And so it means that, okay, so if every single country in the world completely cuts carbon emissions, and I'm, I'm not an expert here, but I've been following the work of Bjorn Lomborg, who is one of the sane climate scientists and not one of the hysterics. You know, I don't know exactly how much it would be, but maybe let's say we could shift it by one degree Celsius 70 years from now. Still wouldn't reach those goals, would we? And here's another thing that you don't know. Compared to year 1900, that is 121 years ago at this time of recording, we have so many less deaths connected to climate disasters and climate conditions than we used to have. Back then, it was 130, I think, per year, per million people in the world. Now, and in 2010, it was four. There is, in fact, less drought in the world than there used to be. There is, in fact, less wildfires in the world than there used to be. And while the Arctic ice is melting faster than expected, the Antarctic ice is expanding also much faster than expected. So why are people freaking out? Why is Prince Charles saying that we need a military-style operation to protect us from climate change? Well, it could just be that these people have a massively exaggerated idea of their own capacity to change the course of nature. But to me, it looks like more noble tyranny. The amount of suffering for the human population that this green shift is going to cause if it's done in the way that the elites want it to be done is mind-boggling. Already, Norwegian families, and we're a rich country, many Norwegian families can hardly keep their homes because the power bills are so expensive after Europe shut down all of their old-style petroleum-based or nuclear-power-based power plants. And now we're just going to have some windmills that are falling apart after rusting to a lumbering hulk of metal after a couple of years and need to be repaired. They're leaking all kinds of chemicals and shit into the ecosystems. They're clipping the birds, the wings of birds. And that's going to be the replacement. These ugly windmills. Solar cells, I think, is a fantastic thing. Put it on your roof and so on and so forth. But, you know, they don't replace natural gas. And safe nuclear power that seems to be coming now, and maybe even fusion comes eventually, then, you know, we have so many other ways of dealing with this. My sister is involved with taking care of the blue forests, the marine ecosystems. I'm proud of her. I think it's super important. 
and we need to deal with the pollution in our ecosystems. And now a lot of that pollution comes from the way that we're dealing with the pandemic because we're producing 7,000 tons of microplastic fucking masks that go straight into the ecosystem every day. These are the same forces that want to combat climate change. They're asking us to use these goddamn masks that we have 47, if not more than 50, solid pieces of research, peer-reviewed friggin' research, that says they don't work. Noble tyranny. Noble tyranny. All of what I've said is factual. You can go and check it. But what I have said today will get me called a white supremacist, a misogynist, a patriarchal asshole, a climate change denier, an anti-vaxxer, and so on and so forth. Why has the price for speaking the truth become so high? It's because they don't want you to know the truth. And you'll come to realize that officials from the whole world have been drilled for a couple of decades now for how to use a pandemic as a leverage point for a totalitarian takeover of democracy. Just start researching Event 201. Because there's a level of malfeasance, and I would say even malevolence here, that is unprecedented. It's not because it's the political left. It's just because right now, the political left is the path of least resistance for tyranny. At the end of the day, the political spectacle from left to right and back it's just theater to distract us from the truth. Yes, there are different values, but at the end of the day, I'm seeing theater. We're being polarized in ways that are clearly intentional. And this polarization that happens across the left-right divide, drop it. The liberal or Democrat that wakes up to this, he or she is the one that can stem the tides of tyranny that are just growing like a wildfire across our culture. Had I listened to this podcast two years ago, I would have thought this guy, this walking with the archetypes host, he was a fucking nutter. But you see, there comes a point when we have to speak. And may my boldness or madness or whatever you want to call it today inspire you to do the same. We're going to return our focus now back to nature. All right, that was uh, a bit intense for me to record. It is mad to be talking about these things. I don't even believe it myself that we're living in times where I can actually say these words and mean them. It's heartbreaking in a way.
It's so beautiful here. I think particularly because it's a place of my childhood. It makes my heart come alive with sweet feelings to be walking in the nature of my childhood. And as I stand here and look out over the fields, my heart reaches out to yours and I say, be well, bless you. And I just want you to know that I love you for actually being here because this has been scary for me, man. I didn't want to make this podcast, but I had to. And I'm grateful for your support. And I hope that you get your ass out in nature this weekend. Because ultimately, this fight that we're in is for nature to take back control from the machine. And we will prevail. Have a great weekend. I will speak with you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me in this week's Walking with the Archetypes. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. And don't forget, you are invited to come walk with me next Friday when we will take another deep dive into the archetypal realms. To go deeper with this masculine operating system, head over to MasculineOS.com for a comprehensive free guide.